Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can help us by reaching others by investing at trinitysandiego.org slash give. Thanks again for joining us. Now here's Pastor Katie. And so uh, I think it's interesting today as we are opening up, or we're not opening up a new series of talks, but if you've been here, um, you've been hearing that we've been focusing on the passage of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and today we get to talk about the mind. Hallelujah. (laughs) And now we, we put on the sign out there, I don't know if you saw the sign when you came in, but we put on the sign the battlefield of the mind. Okay, and now I want you to know something. Um, a woman that I follow, her name's Joyce Meyer. She is an incredible communicator, anointed woman of God. She wrote a book called The Battlefield of the Mind, and it's sold over 4 million copies since she's uh, redistributed it. So that tells me two things. Number one, it's a really good book, and if you need more help on this topic after you leave today, I would recommend going and getting that book, because it will set you free. But uh, it also tells me that a lot of people have trouble with their thoughts. A lot of people find themselves in pits because of their thought life, because their self-talk as a result of what's in their heads is leading them into places that they feel like they can't get out of. And what happens is, is I feel like a lot of Americans today, because I think this is an American Christianity problem. I don't think that this is actually throughout the world because there are real Christians that are being persecuted and, and, and beaten and enslaved and tortured for their faith. So I think this is an American Christianity problem, okay? The, the privileged people. That we can't, we can constantly find ourselves in situations and in thought patterns of negativity or toxic situations where we're just rehearsing the same thing over and over again. We get up on Monday and it's, oh, it's Monday again. And oh, same thing going through. Got to deal with that coworker again. And oh, I'm so depressed. When am I going to wake up and be happy? When am I going to wake up and it's all going to be better again? And here's the thing. When you rehearse those negative thought patterns, you will stay in the same place. It's like spinning your wheels when you're stuck in a truck in the mud. Have you ever been stuck in the truck in the mud? In the mud? Yeah? Like snow, you know, you just, no matter how hard you push on that accelerator to get you out or try to reverse yourself back out, the harder that you try to get out using the same methods, you're just going to keep spinning your wheels and you're going to dig yourself deeper into that pit. So when we talk about love the Lord your God with all of your mind today, that is an interesting topic because we've been talking about the heart and the soul, and that refers to our emotions. It's our emotions. And so that's what we identify with usually uh, as, as people, as human beings, is emotion because it's what we feel. But I want to talk to you today about what we think and our mindset and some of the mindsets and maybe give you um, maybe a different perspective of how to think about your situation that you're walking through, how to think about, you know, that thing, that cloud that keeps hanging over your head no matter how hard you try to lift it. There are things in God's word that he wants to speak to you today specifically. But I was thinking, uh, this week we had an interesting thing happen. Um, This doesn't happen all the time, but on Tuesday morning, I got a phone call from the school nurse at Pomerado Elementary. And um, if you know my son Carter, uh, he's eight years old, uh, but he has got the pain tolerance of a rhino. Okay, like 
<laughs> Nothing phases him. Okay, but so I've never gotten a phone call from the school nurse. And so when I got, I didn't recognize the number. And so I answered the phone on Tuesday and I was like, hello. And she goes, hello, Mrs. Corrigan. All very calm because that's what they're paid to be, right? Because the parents are freaking out when they get a call. And she goes, she goes, hello, Mrs. Corrigan. How are you? And I go, hello, who's this? And she goes, uh, I'm Debbie. I'm the school nurse at Pomerado Elementary. And I'm like, excuse me? And she goes, yeah. She goes, so... Carter was running on the playground and he fell and he skinned his knee. And I go, it's that bad that you had to call me? I'm like, just slap a Band-Aid on it. You know, I'm like, he'll be fine. I'm like, this kid's got the pain tolerance of a rhinoceros. That's what I said. She goes, um, no, you don't understand. She goes, I'm going to need you to come get him. And I'm like, what in the world? You know, bad moms, you know, have you seen, have you seen that? Have you seen that movie? I was like replaying one of those scenes right there. I'm like, no, he doesn't. He, he's fine. And she goes, she goes, ma'am, we do not have the tools in our office to fix the laceration on his knee. She goes, he is gushing blood. You need to get here now. And I'm like, oh, okay, good move. Good mom <laughs> skills picking, picking up now. I'm like, oh, okay, very serious. Gotcha. Okay, so I hang up the phone. I go get him, and I take him to the ER. I, I mean, I walk in, and the poor kid, he's crying. He's never crying because he's in pain. It's usually because he, he didn't get something he wanted. He's crying. <laughs> So he's like, he's like in pain and he looks at me on the stretcher and I can just tell and my mom heart breaks. And then I look at the laceration on his knee and I was like, oh, okay, this is serious. It was like an inch and a half long, which is big. And it was like, it was like thick wide, which I was like, ooh, we're going to have to get stitches. This is serious. So I was texting Todd pictures for whatever reason. Like, I can't watch the, like, forensic science shows. Like, it just makes me sick. Or, like, ER, you know, those shows. Do they have, do they still have that? Yeah. I, my stomach can't handle it. But for whatever reason, moms, we get, we get stomachs of steel when it's our kids. <laughs> like, really, like, I, I looked at this wound, and I was like, hmm, I can still look at this. I'm not throwing up. It's so weird. It's so weird I don't feel sick right now. So then I'm texting Todd pictures, and he's, like, literally squeaming. You know, he was in a meeting. He was in our, meet, our team meeting that we have on Tuesday, and he was like, Stop sending me pictures. I don't want to see it, you know, because he can't handle it. It's okay. I love you. I'm just, I'm giving the moms, I'm giving the moms a shout out right now because, because we're the, we're the, we're the real deals. Okay. But uh, I look at his wound and I'm like, okay, we got to go to the ER. So then of course we're in the ER. It takes, of course, a, two and a half hours to get the whole process done. And he's still crying. And so I put, I put on my Instagram story, please pray for Carter. Um, he had cut open his knee um, because I need attention for stuff like this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't normally, I don't know. I haven't been posting on Instagram. So I was like, huh, maybe somebody will pray for me or my son. And so, I don't know. I just did it. So um, I put it on my Instagram story and immediately my mom uh, texts me, grandma texts me and she goes, what is going on with Carter? And I, she, you know, a concerned grandma, all the grandmas in the room, you know, uh-huh, yep, you know exactly what this is like. She goes, what is going on with Carter? And I go, he is fine, mom, but, you know, he did get a huge gush on his knee, and it's gushing blood, and it's, it's gross. And she goes, let me FaceTime with him. And I'm like, okay. So we get on FaceTime, 
And we're talking, and, you know, when he has to rehearse what's happened to him, he starts crying again for, like, he had been calm for, like, an hour. Then he has to rehearse it again, the injustice and everything that had happened to him, and he's weeping. You know, and then Grammy, okay, grandmas, y'all are, like, silly putty in the hands of your grandchildren. I don't know. I I don't know how they do it to you, but mom, my mom goes, um, okay, honey, whatever you want, I'll buy it for you. Whatever you want, honey. Whatever you want, just just I'll tell I'll tell Mama I'll send her the money. Just go just go buy something. Go buy whatever you want because she's on Facetime. She can't do anything about it. <laughs> and and so the first thing that he says is I want a pusheen. Does anyone in this room know what a pusheen? Okay, the only there's one one or two people in the back know what a pusheen is, and I'm about to uh, I'm about to school you on what this is because I did not know what it was until two weeks ago. A pusheen is a Japanese uh, stuffed cat animal that is insanely expensive, okay, for a stuffed animal. And my son is obsessed with Japanese culture um, right now. He's actually learning Japanese through the Duolingo app. Um, he's brilliant and a genius. We can talk about that later. But he's learning about it, and he's, he's so obsessed with this culture that he found these stuffed animal cats that he has been, dr- he's been wearing us out about it, buying us a pooch. He's like, I just want a pusheen, a pusheen cat. This is what they are in case you have never seen a pusheen. Let me just educate you right now. See, now your whole life has changed, right? Okay. It, it doesn't even make sense. Like, it doesn't even, the face is on like the side of the head. Like, it doesn't even make sense. So we have been saying, no, we're not buying a pusheen. Plus, I have 150 other $2 stuffed animals that I've been trying to get rid of when he's not looking. And so I have been trying to like get him, his brain out of that. Well, of course, when Grammy gets on FaceTime and she's, she says she's going to buy him whatever because we've been telling him it's too expensive, he goes, I want a pusheen. <laughs> You know, and 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 so of course he gets it because what am I going to do? Be like no, and right? So of course we caved. We got him a pusheen. But the point of the story is that Carter has a four-year-old sister at home, and the four-year-old sister uh, does not understand reasoning. So when she sees her brother get a toy and she doesn't get a toy, especially when it comes from a grandma. She feels uh, injustice. She feels like that's not fair. Why would he get a toy and not me? And so it doesn't matter how much we try to reason with her. And what we try to tell her is, do you see the gash on his leg? That's why he has a toy to make him feel better. And so this is what we heard for about an hour. I want a pusheen. This is not fair. I want a pusheen. This is not fair. This is not fair. I want a pusheen. So this went on for about an hour. I'm not kidding. Until finally Todd got so sick of it that he's like, fine. Let's call Zanny. Maybe she'll buy you a pusheen. The other grandma. Yeah. So we're hitting up grandparents all, all the time, you know. So Todd calls his mom, and she goes, absolutely. I will, of course, pay for a pusheen. 
whatever she wants, just take my credit card. So this is the Pusheen that we paid for $35. Is this unbelievable? And the grandparents are in on it together. I'm serious. I'm going to fly them both down here and I'm going to take off and they can keep the kids and clean out all the stuffed animals. I'm going to, I am. But what was interesting and why I tell this story is not for the comic relief, but for the fact that even after her dad said to her, he ordered it in front of her, and she's rehearsing and rehearsing her complaint, and she's going in circles, and she's just whining and complaining. And even after he shows her that he orders her the pusheen, he says, look, Kennedy, it's coming tomorrow. It'll be here. It's Amazon Prime. It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, thank the Lord for Prime, guys, because God forbid we have to wait three days for something to come in the mail. And she, this, is, this is still what she's saying. But it's not fair. I want it now. Why didn't I get a pusheen? Still, she's still rehearsing what's in her mind. She's still rehearsing her complaint. She's still rehearsing everything that was done wrong to her and her injustices, and this isn't fair, and she's now stuck. She was stuck in that place for two hours just because she wouldn't let go. She wouldn't learn how to get out of this space of rehearsing her problem and move forward. And so what happens is, is that I think, Christians, I think believers, get stuck in a negative rehearsal cycle and a negative rehearsal pattern where we're constantly talking about the injustices. We're constantly talking about how we're anxious. We're constantly talking about how we don't, we don't think that God is moving in our life. And what happens is, is that as long as you choose to keep operating your mind on this cycle, you're going to stay in exactly the same space. And you're not only going to not move forward, but you're going to dig yourself into a pit even, wow. even harder for you to get out of. So good. And so that's why when Jesus is saying in Luke 10, 27, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. With all of your mind. Now, let's just give, like, we'll do context here, history lesson. This is Jesus saying this in the Gospels, and it's mentioned in every single Gospel. And I chose Luke 10, 27 for this particular talk, but I know Todd talked about the version that was in Matthew. But in every version of the Gospels, where Jesus is restating the commandment, he inserts the word mind. This is based off of, he's actually quoting Deuteronomy 6.6, which was the original command of the law of God. But in Deuteronomy 6.6, it does not say, love the Lord your God with your mind. It says, heart, soul, and strength. And so as I was studying, I was like, why would Jesus, when he's quoting from the Old Testament, that's, that was his point of reference. Side note, if you think that Old Testament theology is not um, relevant to us today in New Testament culture, then you, you need to read your Bible better because Jesus was actually quoting from the Old Testament. Um, but he was quoting Deuteronomy 6.6, 6, um, except he was inserting this word mind into the text. And I'm like, I'm so confused why would Jesus, I mean, he's the son of God. He can do what he wants. You know, he can add to the Bible, I guess, if he wants. But I was like, why would he add this word in the mind? And one thing that you have to keep in mind, keep in mind, when you, when you look at this text is that when we say yes to Jesus, 
Okay, if we say yes in our hearts and we say the prayer, we've, we've submitted our lives to him and we acknowledge that he's our savior. We've asked for his grace to cover our sin. When you say yes to Jesus, your spirits are eternally saved. That is what, that is what salvation is. Salvation happens at the moment that you say yes to Jesus and you welcome him into your life. But there are a lot of Christians that have said yes to Jesus, that love Jesus, and don't understand where their lives are still a wreck. And that is because our minds and the way that we think about do not get saved right away. Our minds have to be renewed. That's why in Romans 12 too, it says, do not conform to the pattern of the culture. Do not conform to the way that society says you should be conforming, but be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So your mind doesn't get saved when you do. Which is why sometimes we still, as Christians, can get stuck in rehearsal patterns. And we, we can see, find ourselves living a life that is contradictory to what Jesus says when he says, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. But because of our own mind and our own choices, we find ourselves stuck in this pit. Even though we say we believe in Jesus, we love Jesus, and we're going to heaven. But we've, we've got some of the same patterns and the same habits that we had 30 years ago when we said yes to Jesus. It's because it's, because it's in our mind. So why did Jesus find it necessary to add that word when he was teaching to the people? I found it, it, was, it was really interesting. There's a Greek word. The Greek word, mind, that he is using is called uh, is dieoa, dieoa. And I think I put the pronunciation up there because I might have I ruined it. Dieoa connotates deep thought. That is what it's translated from the Greek. That's the word that Jesus chose to use in this passage when he's talking about the mind. Now, when you think about passages talking about the mind, the two that come to my, to, to, to my recollection uh, that are the most helpful for me to think about my, how my thoughts are, are Romans 12.2. If we could throw that up there really quick, Allie. It's the one I just mentioned to you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The second one, which is very, very powerful as well, is 1 Corinthians 2.16. And it says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the... Okay, guys, we sound a little bored here. Can we, can we be more excited when we say that word? We have the mind. There we go. There we go. We're, we sounded a little um, weird kind of chanty. So I just wanted to put some energy in there. Okay, but follow me. So, the, so the, let's go back to the word. In Luke 10, 27, the word that Jesus uses uh, translates in the Greek as deep thought. And it connotates the activation of your free will and your intellect. Okay? Does not have anything to do with your heart or your feelings. Okay? But then the words mind... In only these two scriptures, there's lots of scriptures on the mind in the New Testament, but only in these two scriptures, this word is different. It's translated different, and it's translated and pronounced noose. Do we have that up there? Noose? And it means the actual thoughts and the counsels of God. Only in these two scriptures is Paul, who came after Jesus, now saying what the outcome is of projecting or focusing our active will on who God is. When he says, when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your mind, he is saying you have to activate your intellect. 
You have got to live above your feelings and get into deep thought and focusing on who God is. And then I, I think that what Paul was saying was in these two scriptures, the outcome, because Paul came later after Jesus said this, the outcome of you activating your intellect over and above your situation, your complaints, your frustrations, and focusing on loving the Lord your God with your mind, the outcome is you have actual thoughts and counsels of God. Your thoughts actually become like God's thoughts, which means you see yourself the way God sees you. You see your situation the way God sees you because you have his thoughts now running through your brain. Does that make sense? So only in these two scriptures is Paul talking about how the mind of Christ is the actual counsel of God, which is why we have Christians who are depressed and they're insecure and they are constantly longing for approval from other people because they do not have the mind or the thoughts of God about them. They don't see themselves the way that God sees them. They see themselves the way through other people's eyes because they have not learned how to activate their intellect and their will to focus on the goodness of who God says he is and who he promises he is and the promises he's given to us so that we can overcome the feelings of insecurity and need for approval and financial debt and whatever it is that you're walking through so that we can actually have his thoughts about the situation. Come on. I don't know if it's quiet because you don't understand or if, or if you're po pondering <laughs> what's happening, but this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit revealed to me because I know that I can get caught up all in my feelings. I can get caught up in how I feel every morning. Todd will tell you, I will get up lots of mornings and feel, I can feel discouraged. I can feel uh, like things aren't moving forward in my life as fast as I want them to. I can feel like I'm not a good mom. Um, I let the kids play on t technology too much yesterday. You know, I can, feel, I can feel all kinds of ways about myself. But what the Lord showed me this week is that when we love him with our minds, he gives us his thoughts about us, which means that when we get up in the morning and we feel like, like less than, when we don't feel worthy of love, we actually can start to see and say to ourselves, no, I am a child of the one true God. I have a plan and a purpose for my life because he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, that I have plans and a purpose for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future so that even though when I get up and I don't feel like my future is bright, I can, I can think those thoughts because he has given me the ability to have the actual thoughts and the counsels of who he is. This is not making ourselves equal with God, by the way. Just want to make that clear. We are not making ourselves equal with God by having the mind of Christ. I actually think that he allows us to have his thoughts and his mindset about us, not just for our own benefit so that we can see how amazing we are, because you guys, you are amazing. And if you haven't heard it yet today, let me tell you, Every single one of you, as I'm looking you in the eye, is amazing. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God Almighty. And, you, and some of us wake up feeling worthless because we don't have the mind of Christ and we haven't learned how to activate our intellect above how we feel. So I think what Jesus was saying 
to people who claimed to follow the law or God, or maybe carnal Christians, Christians who have not um, allowed their thought process to be out of that rehearsal, that unhealthy, toxic cycle, is that to live the abundant life starts with activating your will. It starts with activating your intellect to love him above how you feel, above your situation, to choose to focus on who he is. Because the thing is, is that what you focus on, you will become. Okay? And so if you feel like Jesus said, I came to give you abundant life, but I feel like I'm waking up and it's awful every single morning, and I don't think I'm living in the abundant life of joy and peace, then what you need to do is remember how to get out of a negative rehearsal cycle. You have to activate your will to focus on who he is, focus your mind and your thoughts on who he is, because he says, those who fix their thoughts on me, will he will keep them in perfect peace. Right. There's all kinds of scriptures, guys, about, about the thoughts. But in Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. For as a man thinks, he becomes. Yep. So if we're constantly thinking that we're worthless, that is the life that you will exist in. But if you think that you are a child of the Most High God and that you are purposed and called and destined to live the abundant life in prosperity and hope and peace that he died to give us and to promise us, you will actually, if you start thinking these ways, as a man thinks in his heart he is, you will start living in that type of an existence. <coughs> Excuse me, I just got to take a quick drink here. Um, what you choose to rehearse will determine who you become and where you remain. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to write that down. What you choose to rehearse will de determine who you become and where you remain. And there's this idea in psychology that it, your brain has what is called neuroplasticity. Does, every, does anyone know what that is? Neuroplasticity? Okay. So what neuroplasticity is, is it means that your brain is able to be molded. Your brain is able to be controlled by your mind. Your brain is the physical matter, okay? But your mind is your intellect that God has given you that can be manipulated and controlled either for better or for worse because your brain was created to be moldable, this is why we, when we create uh, neural pathways because of some negative situation that's happened to us and then we, and we, we choose, you choose to ruminate on it, you choose to keep focusing on what happened to you and you rehearse it and you rehearse it, it becomes an actual pathway in your brain that where, you know, there's a trigger if you see that person that did you wrong at work. And so now you don't even have to be around them, but if you hear their name or you see their name, there's this trigger that comes up and it eventually goes negative or immediately goes negative. That's because you have a neural pathway that has been embedded in your brain because your brain is moldable. But here's the good news. You can change the way that your brain thinks by choosing to focus on loving the Lord your God with your mind and choosing to focus on scripture that are promises to you that actually change your brain. And our brains are neuroplastic plastic for our entire life. So that means that it doesn't matter how old or how young you are, you can start working on this Amen. if you create habits of letting the scriptures soak into your mind and be your identity. I was looking for a scriptural reference of this, and I didn't have to look very far because there's lots of references to where um, people in the Bible that Jesus would set free would constantly rehearse their problems. But 
this particular man in John 5, 1 through 9 and 14 is a man that Jesus heals, but he is one of those people that I've kind of been talking about that he just rehearses, 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 rehearses everything that's wrong. And look at what Jesus does. I think it's interesting. It says, afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Bethesda with five colored, covered porches. So crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And when Jesus saw him, oh, I'm sorry, one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he just asked him, well, do you want to get well? Do you want to get better? Because, I mean, it's been 38 years. He says, I can't, sir, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. You notice that Jesus didn't get down there with him and, and wallow. He didn't get in there and wallow with him. Didn't try to make him feel better. Oh, honey, it's okay. No, he said, get up. You've been doing this for 38 years. You know, some of us would like to think that Jesus is like a soft, like cushy, pusheen. <laughs> Jesus was savage. <laughs> Sometimes. He was salty. Like he was kind of like, I'm not playing. Like, like you've been doing this too long. You need to get up. Get your healing. Amen. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. And now in verse 14, I, I recommend you going back to read the whole story. But in verse 14, it says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple, the man. And he said, Now that you are well, or now you are well, so stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. Yeah. Yeah, ouch is right. He's saying, Jesus is addressing a behavior of rehearsing a reason that becomes an excuse that has become a ceiling over this man's life. You see, sometimes we can create reasons on whatever it is. You, you name it. Reasons why we can't get there on time. Reasons why we can't get to church. Reason, reasons why, oh, I just got to let my kid play on the iPad for a little bit more because I just can't handle him. Whatever your reason is, if you keep using it for too long, you will get stuck in that place and it will become an excuse, which means it is now a ceiling over you that is holding you down in that place. Yeah. You got to be careful of excuses, guys. Yeah. Really careful. And I think that we have a, an epidemic of people that are constantly living on excuses and saying that they're legitimate reasons. And so we don't show up to our commitments. We cancel at the last minute. This is a big thing. And we don't know how to activate discipline in our own life, which Jesus, Jesus, when he died, he died to give us the freedom to live within these boundaries that he's given us. And when you choose to live within the boundaries that he gives you, you actually walk in freedom. You're less restricted. But sometimes we, 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 we let our reasons become excuses and then the excuses become our ceilings. And when you got a ceiling over you, it's something harder to get through, something harder to punch through. You got to put more effort in. So let's not do that. Because our excuses are can be considered sin. And I know that that's really hard 
to swallow because I had a hard time with that this week. Complaining will make you remain in a place because it's sin. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years complaining. Never entered the promised land. It was only supposed to take them 11 days. You will never enter the abundant life that Jesus died to give you if you cannot learn how to stop complaining and to activate your will to live above your feelings and to live above what's coming at you and go into deep thought and focus on loving the Lord your God with your mind. Uh, the command, this is kind of like a, it's kind of like a command when, when we get in these rehearsal cycles, because I know that maybe some people in the room, because I've asked the question, okay, well, how do I do this? Like, how do I do this? How do I do what you're saying, Pastor Katie? Because I believe what you're saying, because I think it's really true, because I see these patterns happening in my life. But how do I do this? How do I get outside of my own head and look at the situation and start changing the trajectory of my thoughts. How do I start changing it? It starts with learning and knowing what your authority is that you can command. You can command your thoughts. You can command your feelings. You can push those things down and you can elevate the right things in your life, the scriptures. You actually have that ability. You have that power. And uh, David, King David, I saw this this week and it was so encouraging to me because King David was one of the greatest kings that ever lived, one of the greatest men that ever lived, because he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, God blessed him. He favored him. Uh, but David is pretty emotional. <laughs> if you read the Psalms, have you, has you, have you read the Psalms? Like, he's lamenting, like, half the time. He's complaining half the time in the Psalms. Okay, so anybody, if that's your favorite book, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> but he is. He's complaining. But, but the thing about David is that he's complaining to the one person that can do something about it. The only one that is empowered to actually change your situation is God Almighty. And if you're going to him first, I don't think it's sin. I think it's expression. It's when you, choo when you choose to complain to the other people around you and you, you, you want to rehearse it to everybody around you that will listen to you instead of going to him who actually can change your situation and can change your mindset. And so look at what he does in Psalm 43.5. He's complaining again. <clears throat> and he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And the only reason I'm taking um, artistic liberties with that, with the tone, is because this has probably been me um, lots of times. I don't use the exact verbiage, okay, but sometimes I'm like, why do I feel so irritated when I wake up? Why can't my kids just sleep past 5.15? Why do I have 175 stuffed animals still? Okay, but seriously, <laughs> I'm being funny, but some of us get up every morning with really legitimate dark thoughts. We feel hopeless. We feel worthless. We feel like God has, has forgotten about us because our situation has not changed or because we're still experiencing the same uh, level of living that is in direct contradiction to the Bible. And I want to give you hope today that you may feel that way, but you actually have the power to command your thoughts 
to focus your will on who God is. And when you choose to focus on the goodness of God, things around you start to change. And now look at what he says. He's lamenting first. And then there's this like, there's this gap. Is there a gap? Did you not put a gap in there? Okay. So I had created (laughs) the way that I laid out the message was there was a gap between the first sentence, or I'm sorry, the first two uh, statements and then the last because I think that there was an actual intellectual mental shift between the complaining to God and then there's a shift in the tone. He starts talking back to himself. He's complaining to God and then there's the shift. See, he activates his intellect. He activates his will. And then he says, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him my Savior, and my God. He starts talking to his feelings and not going to let his feelings and emotions drive the conversation. He starts saying, oh no, oh no. I may feel this way, but I am going to activate my will and speak to my feelings and I will praise God until my feelings lift because I choose to not stay in the same place stuck. I will not remain in the same pit as a result of my complaining. You can choose. That's the point. And I know that this is hard concept too because I get in these ruts in my mind. I get in rehearsals where I'm negative thinking and toxic thinking. Yeah, worship team, you can join me. Um, I get into these toxic patterns and I don't feel like praising. I don't feel like it. But you see what I just said? I, didn't, I don't feel like it. And what, what your feelings will try to do, uh, they will try to drive your life. Feelings are meant to be the passengers. Your mind and your intellect needs to be the drivers of your life. Logic. With faith, believing in faith that Jesus is going to do everything that he said he is going to do. He's going to give you the abundant life. But you have the power. He gave you a brain. My father-in-law, I I couldn't think of a better um, illustration or a better story of a life that learned how to practice breaking that rehearsal cycle that I was talking about, that negative rehearsing cycle, and live an abundant life. Many of you know bits and pieces of my father-in-law's story. His name was Miles. And Todd even talked about him last week, and so I'm sorry if it's repetitive for you, but I, I, I thought part of the story, and maybe the most important part of the story of his life was left out. Um, Miles was a product of a one-night stand. It, all he knows about his birth parents were that she was an Austrian woman, and he was a soldier going off to war, and he was given up for adoption shortly after he was born. He was raised by nuns um, in a Catholic convent, uh, I believe, but he had some adoptive family, his aunt and his grandma. They were adopted. Uh, They took him in and then raised him from a small child. But when he would recount his childhood to Todd, he would say, I never felt loved. Nobody ever hugged me. Nobody ever told me that they were proud of me. 
I was constantly worried I was going to be abandoned because that's a typical response of a child who's been abandoned. They feel rejected. They feel like nobody wants them. And he lived his life not knowing if anyone actually really cared, not knowing if anyone was ever going to be there for him, if he was ever going to have his own family. And so on the night of his eighth grade graduation, his aunt died. And then on the night of his high school graduation, his grandmother died. So the two relatives, adopted relatives that he had, the only two family members he, ever, he had in the entire world, um, were gone. And as a high school graduate, he stepped into the world not knowing what to do and who to cling to and how his life was going to end up. Didn't know how he was going to make ends meet because nobody was helping him. And uh, was introduced to Jesus shortly after. And heard about this message that we are a new creation when we say yes to Jesus. That things can change when we say yes to Jesus. He heard about how God says that he's adopted us into his family. So when he didn't think he had a family, he was a part of God's family. His start was not awesome. Never feeling loved, always feeling abandoned, always having to worry that people were going to leave him. And as he grew in his faith and started fixing his thoughts on Jesus, didn't get easy, didn't get easier right away. By the way, you know how I said when you, when you accept Jesus, your soul and your, your spirit is saved, but your mind has some changing and renewing to do. So it didn't get easier right away. He had to actually work. He was a speech teacher. He was studying to be a speech teacher. His real dream was to be a Division I football coach. But he was studying to be a speech teacher, and so he had gotten a summer school job this one summer, and he was the authority in the classroom, and he was teaching all the high school kids uh, in the classroom. But he also had a second job that was bagging groceries. And one time after school, after summer school was out, a bunch of his students came into the grocery store. And they started laughing at him and making fun of him for bagging groceries. And he felt like he had lost all of their, all of their respect and all of his authority in the classroom. Very humbling, very humbling moments for this man. But like I said, as he integrated these principles into his thinking because he always told Todd, the hardest battles that you will fight are the six inches between your ears. Hardest battles you'll ever fight is in your mind. He started to fight one battle at a time, one rejection at a time, believing that the promises of God were bigger than the rejection that he felt in his life. And he met Suzanne, Todd's mom, and things started to look up. Didn't necessarily have the family that he wanted yet, but he started to open up and talk to somebody about the dreams that he had that he didn't think were possible because of his beginning, because of how he started. But let me tell you something with Jesus, you might not have a good start, but you can have a good finish. My orphaned, rejected, and abandoned father-in-law not only had the most amazing family of his own, he accomplished an elite football career 
as a result of believing the scriptures about his life, about letting his mind be transformed and renewed by the power of the scriptures. And not only did he live the abundant life here, because he was living the abundant life, he left a legacy that was unmatched. There was over a thousand people at his funeral. And every single one of them that I spoke to and that the family spoke to said, you don't even know how that man changed my life. He changed my life. He said one encouraging thing to me and it changed everything. A man that he himself felt orphaned and rejected and abused and abandoned was able to change the trajectory of his life just by practicing loving the Lord his God with his mind knowing that how he felt and how he began did not define his existence. It did not define the promises of Jesus to give us an abundant life were not for him, but for other people. He let it define not only his life, but his future legacy. If you would stand with me, I want to pray for you this morning.